Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready for some hot, steamy conversation? <laughs> I don't know how steamy it is, but hot, yeah. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Coffee Talk. I'm Soy, host of the fastest growing online talk show where we discuss real topics with real people in real situations. Good morning, good morning, good morning and welcome to Coffee Talk with Soy. This is your host. Welcoming you to the fastest growing talk show online where real talk happens every Saturday right here at 10 a.m. I'm so excited to be in the cafe today. It's time. It's time. You know what it is. So grab your favorite morning beverage and get ready for real talk, real topics right now. I hope everyone is having a great Saturday. You know, I, I spent my morning getting up and reflecting on the new year, our theme for the month of January is the attitude adjustment. And the reason why we coined that and put that out there is because generally around this time of the year, everyone's looking to do something different. This is where we get up and get ready to start something different for the rest of the year. And for those of us who are doing this every day of our lives, kudos to you. You don't need a New Year's resolution. You don't need 2015 to come in because every day you wake up and put your feet on the floor, you realize that it's a new day for you to do it all over again. And that's what I love about new beginnings, uh, hence, you know, the break of dawn. But in any event, we're going to move right on to the show. So I want to remind you to grab your pen, grab paper, because you're going to be informed about some enlightened things we always Love to share information on this show. Today, 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 we have a phenomenal man in the studio who's going to tell you some things about himself. And before he do, let me just give you a little background on him. He's from the Atlanta area. He served 10 years in prison after committing armed robbery. He ended up serving his time at a prison named Alto, Alto State Prison, located in Georgia. And then he was transferred to finish his time at another prison. He's on the show today to discuss actions and thoughts that led to the crime and how it has affected his life today. He uses his story to motivate others. He's written books about it, and he's hoping that people will learn from his past experience. I had the opportunity to ask this gentleman, what makes your story different? How is what you how is your experience different from any other male that have been incarcerated or has served time? And he's going to share that with us today. I want you guys to hold on to your seats, keep sipping what's in your hand, and get ready as we hear from Danan Butler. He's in the cafe today. Good morning, Danan, and welcome to Coffee Talk with Soy. 
Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Ooh, I'm glad you could be here, Danan. And and, and is from the ATL. Is that right? Without a doubt, born and raised. Yeah, dirty south. So, are are you a Grady baby? Because that's what I learned while I'm here. Are you a Grady baby? I, no, no, ma'am. I'm I'm not a Grady baby. I was born at Georgia Baptist. However, I do associate and affiliate with Grady babies on the daily. So. On the daily, okay, okay. So he said no. He said no, ma'am. Now that that's polite. That's but I'm a northerner, you know. So I, I'm 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 getting I'm learning to adjust to the no ma'am to the no ma'am. It, it, it add about ten years on me when I hear it, but I'm learning I'm learning to adjust. I'm learning to adjust. But I think it's rather polite of you. So thank you, thank you for that. Thank you, no problem. So let's talk a little bit about your your background, Dana, and where you um, what your experiences were. So were you from a single parent home, or what was your childhood uh, life like? My only childhood consisted of uh, both parents, actually, um, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that they did they simply did the best that they could do with the information that they had. Um, so it's kind of it's hard for me to place any blame on anybody because I think a lot of parents out here you have single mothers, you have people that, that they're simply doing the best that they can do, and I think that Diane and Henry, I think they did the best that they could do. Um, and later on in life, that household was split up, uh, and it was affected by drugs. But I think that, uh, again, that they were simply, you know, they were young, and they were, you know, making decisions, and they made the best decisions that they thought they could make at that time. Mm. I appreciate you saying that, because I, I wanted to put that out there on the air, because a lot of times media portray that when you're from a single-family household, you you encounter more issues or you're more likely or prone to be on the streets or to be involved in drugs. So I wanted to put that out there because there are parents who are doing extremely well, doing the best they can do, and yet their kids fall into this this place of, of parental challenge. So I wanted to put that out there. So let's talk about doing the best that they can do, and let's get back to the responsibility aspect. What was going on that night that the incident happened that led you to be in prison? Unfortunately, it was not the my my first uh, run in with uh, an alternative lifestyle. Like uh, it started small. It started with me maybe stealing out of lockers at school. Uh, and as I got away with that, and as I um, you know received the perks that came along with that, I think that my uh, my confidence it, it strengthened. And just like anybody that's doing anything, once you've done something for a long period of time, you kind of you know, you go to the next level, and unfortunately, when you are uh, you're breaking the law, if there's not a a conscious voice there to kind of slow you down or to guide you to what's right, it gradually increases. And in, in crime, that equals out to danger. So I initially began to steal in way of you know locker research, and then gradually I I discovered the um, the false security that a a firearm provides. So I just began to uh, I began to rob people, but it wasn't just robbing. It was more like you're taking a young African um, African American male who has not had a uh, who does not have a definition of power, and you give him a false sense of power because when he has his gun, he can control the entire room. So it, of course, there it's a means to an end, but there's a certain kind of excitement that comes along with it, and that's uh, a that false sense of power. 
Mm. Do you believe, I guess in hindsight, do you believe that if there had been some more strenuous measures in place, maybe a, uh, maybe a stricter, uh, a stricter or a harsher punishment in the home that could have prevented it from from getting that far, or were you just that kind of child with the personality that 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 you just going to do you? You know, I think that yeah, without a doubt. Anytime you have a structured household, uh, and it's effective with its structure, meaning that you don't set up uh, a set of rules and five days from now you you don't relate back to them because structure is something that's systematic but it's something that's continuous and something that can always be reflected back upon um but i think that it wasn't just the household it was kind of like my expectation in reference to life and i think in life my my expectations were, were based on the the observations of others like i thought because i was 6'3 that i had to play basketball or I had to play football. So in high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And when I was unable to go to the college level, I seen that as a failure. Um, and not being able to discuss, you know, just the realities of life with, you know, all the different options. Like, there's so many other things you can do besides play basketball to, want to get into college and to, to make a living. I think that a number of our African-American males and females have an unrealistic perception of sports and how it's, interjected into our life. So to answer your mm-hmm. question, it was a number of uh, elements. One of them was lack of structure, uh, falsified goals, and then that defeat. And that defeat came to a 17 or 18-year-old with no kind of explanation or no example of somebody saying, you know what, defeat doesn't mean that you're, that you're lost and you're gone. It just means that you have learned a very valuable lesson. And Document what you've learned and move forward. So after your run-ins with the law, after this last that last incident of, of robbery, mm-hmm. you were sentenced to Alto State Prison. What was that life like for you? Because you were young when, when you were when you first went in, correct? Yes, ma'am. I was uh, mm-hmm. I was 19 years old, mm-hmm. uh, and I was sentenced to 10 years in they uh they unfortunately alto at that particular time they would take teenagers who had a lot of time and they would stick them together um so i learned very fast very quickly um you know the seriousness of the situation because this is not uh you got in trouble go to your room go to the principal's office like it's people that i know they got raped they got killed they got robbed that are still in there that caught additional charges, it was, like, very real. And I think once you take um, a number of uneducated people who are not full within their manhood and you put them in one place and you turn the heat, uh, you should definitely be prepared to do some paperwork. Um, yeah. So Alto was – and because of its uh, strict code of violence, it's now been shut down and converted over to a women's prison because it was just too much stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And when it was shut down, that's when you were transferred to another institution? Yes, ma'am. I was transferred to, well, actually transferred everybody out of Alto, and I uh, finished my time up at Washington State Prison. Washington State Prison. Okay. What was prison like for you in terms of the rehabilitation? Do you feel that you were being rehabbed while you were there and preparing for when you're for your adjustment back into society, 
or was it just you were so focused on surviving that there was there is no rehabilitation or was not for you? That's a really good question. Um, I have two answers. My first question, my first answer is this: that we have to first look at the term rehabilitation because it means to do something over. So that means that I was habilitated. In the perfect world, I was habilitated prior to my arrest, and that was not the case. I was not habilitated because if I was, then I would not have committed the crime. So what you do, um, when you look at it on paper and you say he's habilitated when he goes in and you lock this individual up, well, you've only prepared me to be just as habilitated as I was prior to my incarceration, thus the term rehabilitation. The, 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 the title within itself is uh, a conflict of, of just logic, if that makes sense. You can't take a person who's not, he's not full in his rightness and make and redo him so he's not. If that if that term is correct, then you've prepared me to do exactly what I did to get in this place. That's what rehabilitation is. Now, my second answer is this: that within the the the, the prison system, within any judicial system, uh, tests have shown that those people who are educated, those people who are going to college, those people who score a certain score on their SATs, they're less likely to go to prison because breaking the law is simply not logical. So people who have, you know, just a tad bit of common sense, they're not going to break the law. So in my mind, I would think that the thing that you would do when you incarcerate somebody is that you would visit their education history and you would try to get them to a certain level where they would not break the law. And that simply mm-hmm. doesn't take place in the Georgia. It doesn't take place throughout the throughout the country because once an individual educates himself, now you have to deal with this population in a different way. And then you have to look at, and I don't want to get too far off into left field because mm-hmm. you have to look at the systematic order of things. Like when I think of prison, I think of slavery. And the minute that slavery began to decrease, those individuals who had the most slaves, they invested in the prison system. And so as slavery decreased, the prison population mm-hmm. increased. But those people uh, mm. continue to profit off of it. But also, what we have to take into consideration is this, that right now the same individuals that have uh, an effect on our education system, they also have mm-hmm. an effect on our prison population. So they're taking, the sec- they're taking the test scores of our second and third graders, and instead of determining how they need to restructure the education mm-hmm. system, they're determining how many prisons they need to build. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm not guilty, because I was guilty. But what I am yeah. saying is that it's definitely a, a, a predestined plot that was here prior to my existence. No, no, what 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 you're saying, Dana, is that I need to get you back on another show. We we do have another show coming up on that. So you are a prime candidate to come back and and, and share that knowledge with, with the listeners because that is definitely true indeed, and it's something that we do need to look at and explore and, and talk about because I, I honestly believe that when we talk, things happen. So, so that we don't get get too far off off of your story, let's let's um let's get back to the rehabilitation process that that you believe that, that that's not really taking place. So no. how did you how did you adjust into the prison uh, system coming off the streets? What was your adjustment like? Where did you go in terms of to be able to adjust and, and to survive that ten year bid that you had to do? Well, my first um. My first job was to preserve manhood. I don't have anything against homosexuals. I just don't want to be one. So when you get
to prison, you will defend your manhood, whether you're ready for it or not. Uh, and so once that was, um, you know, taken care of, and you have to consistently re uh, – it, it's kind of like a driver's license. You can have really? it for a while, and it'll be registered, but you have to go back and, you know, and, and make sure your, your, your paper is updated because they will try you again. Uh, oh, wow. Once I got to the – to the point where I was not uh, afraid and I could operate from a, a position of integrity, I began to uh, to look at myself in a different light. I The first thing I did was I stopped blaming everybody else. I never blamed my parents. I never blamed the system. I am a man, and I'm responsible for my actions. That's whether those actions are good or bad. So when I began to question myself, I thought that, you know what, I don't know enough about this world. So I just began to read as much as possible. The only thing I had access to was books. So I would read. Mm. Uh, I read every book that I can get my hands on, like American Classics, Catch-22, 1984, uh, Zora Neale Hurston, Maya Angelou. Um, and it was then that I began to look at the world in a different way. I, I could look at the grass, and I would have a definition as to why this grass is green. And wow. when I began to look at the world in a different way, I, I not only questioned myself, but I began to strengthen myself. So as I read books, I would read them out loud so I can enunciate the words because mm-hmm. I spoke with a Southern Eastern accent. So I said, well, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want to be accepted in a certain light, so I have to carry myself in a certain light. Um, there was a, a lady at Alto, and she's still there, Susan Slayer, who brought the debate team from UGA with Dr. Panetta. They brought them mm-hmm. at that particular time. UGA had one of the best debate teams in the country. So they came and they um they got us into debate and to debate and we actually debated the Tokyo team we debated Tennessee mm-hmm. we debated a number of colleges and we won we had nothing to do but research. Uh, what debate did was if you give me a topic such as uh, abortion and let's say I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm for the negative or I'm for the positive right I can argue what it is that I believe in but what they would do is they would come back a week later and say okay you did the affirmative, now I want you to argue the negative. And what that causes you mm. to do is you have to question your own beliefs. You have to question your own thoughts. Everything that somebody else has pushed on you, it causes you mm-hmm. to question that. When I begin to question my own beliefs and my own thoughts, you know what? I begin to realize that, you know what? The world is a whole lot bigger than Atlanta. And it's not about mm. a sad story about a little black boy. You know what? Get over it. Like, it's about knowing what's going on, obtaining information, and utilizing that information in an effective way. And, and that, right, I began, I was free before they released me because I saw, oh, wow. I saw what was going on, and I understood myself. That's powerful. That, 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 that's powerful. That, that's powerful. I, I like that, that, that you said that you were free before they released you. That, that's good information. Good information. So when you were released... And you, you came out, and there was an adjustment to coming out. I know one of the things that you, you mentioned to me, and I'm going to let you put this out there. When I asked you what, what made your story different and, and how is what happened to you different from other persons that have been incarcerated, you talked about the rate of recidivism. You talked about your desire to stay out of trouble and to provide information that would keep others out of trouble to support ex-offenders and teens at risk. So let's talk about those projects and the things that you're working on that is allowing that to happen. Okay. Uh, when I came home, my first goal was to 
you know, I had written a couple of books while I was incarcerated, so I definitely wanted to see those go to print. Um, I put them in print, but then I learned that just because you have a book and your mom likes it, it doesn't mean that people are going to buy it. So um, <laughs> I had to go back to school. I went back to school to get my associates in marketing management because I said that, you know, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way. And I'm big on education. Let's let's learn how to do it the right way. So um, that was the first thing. But then I started looking at my community, and I looked at, first of all, how did I wrong my community? took responsibility mm. to, for that, and I apologized to those individuals. It wasn't required. I wasn't on probation. But as a man, when I've done something wrong, I have to write it in order to look myself in the mirror. Uh, that simply was not enough because I, I look at, you know, the trickle-down effects of certain things because if a younger guy in my neighborhood sees me do something and he looks up to me, he'll mimic that, and mm. he'll be in prison with me. Just because mm. I was an example to him, and I didn't give him something to look forward to. So within that, I began to, uh, again, to educate myself again. I went and I got my certification to be an anger management specialist. Uh, I also got my uh, certification to be a case manager. So right now, I'm a case manager for at-risk teens, and I'm also a case manager for ex-offenders. What that allows me to do is it allows me to go back into the prison system and uh, conduct an assessment where I can identify the high-risk factors. Because uh, right now, Georgia ha- has the highest percentage of recidivism. And recidivism is mm-hmm. the rate at which people return back to prison. Uh, there was a couple of situations, because in my mind, I was like, I couldn't understand how people came back to prison. But if you come mm-hmm. to this place and you don't do anything to strengthen yourself, just because they sit you in the hole for five or ten years, it doesn't automatically fix you. So, mm-hmm. um, with the assessment, I identify the high-risk factors, and then we address them accordingly. If it's substance abuse, then I sign you up for classes. If you don't have a job, then I try to uh, let's get your resume together. Let's get you some OJT, which is on-job training. Um, and ultimately, I think that every individual should have some type of business. You should have a job. You should have a business. And then you should have an even bigger dream that you have. And you should attack all three of those in an effective manner. Um, right now... I've been allowed to move throughout the prison system and, and help individuals. Nobody on my caseload has gone back to prison. I've got like maybe four or five guys who are in college. Some of these guys are making more money than I'm making. Uh, and I'm not solely responsible. I'm not solely responsible. I'm just, I'm here to do my part. And I, ha- I don't have all of this figured out, but I figure if I get, if all I have to do is hammer this nail, then I'm going to do it really, really well. So the next person that has to do their part, they don't have any hangups. And I can assist those individuals. And I think that if with people coming out of the prison system, if I can touch them and then I can pass them on and they can get touched six mm-hmm. or seven more times, then that individual will begin to understand the value within themselves. And they, too, will begin to, to give back. Because if we don't start giving back as ex-offenders and people who know uh, what right and wrong is, then we keep mm-hmm. this cycle going. We don't learn anything. We don't get better. We don't get stronger. Then we stay complacent. And we're, we're, out, we're executed. We're extinct. Dana, how can, if there are people listening who want to get in contact with you to have you help them with projects that they're dealing with ex-offenders, how can they get information to reach you for for their ex-offenders or for at-risk teams? First and foremost, my phone is on 24-7. And um, I say that because it's not always a convenient time when you realize that you need help. My phone number is 678 678- Eight nine one nine six nine zero. Again, six seven eight eight nine one nine six nine zero. Now, 
I'm also a part of many organizations. One of those organizations is PEAK, and that's Persons Impacted by Incarceration Collaborative. We have meetings every two, every second and fourth Thursday at Atlanta Technical College on Metropolitan. Uh, at these meetings, it's a room full of individuals who have come home and proven themselves, not just to their families, but to their communities as well. And most of these individuals go back into the prison system. We just did um, Phillips State Prison where we spoke to an auditorium full of lifers. Uh, so the goal is to um, to just help. But to get to me, to get in contact with somebody that can assist them, pick mm-hmm. uh, the website is piic.inc. Um, you all, also, I'm a uh, case manager with HYPE, which is helping young people evolve. If you Google HYPE, uh, Clayton County, it'll come up as well. But, again, my phone number is going to be the most direct way to get in contact with me. All right. He's doing some awesome things. And, and one, of the, one of the things that he's also doing, which is one of the things I want to mention, the main reason why he's on the show is to really talk about the documentary that he has out called The Auto Adjustment. And let's share a little bit of information about that as it depicts your real-life story uh, where you talk about modification, fluctuation, and correction. So let's share some information about the auto-adjustment with the listeners. First and foremost, I would like to give thanks to uh, From Nothing to Something Productions. Their uh, their staff was extremely professional. Uh, they took my story and they did something. I'm always telling them. Story, but Alton and his uh, his staff they did they took the story and they did something totally different to it. They they actually made me sound interesting, so I thought that was awesome. <laughs> um, but also he um, he the first thing he did was he just we we had a conversation and he allowed me to just speak my mind freely. Uh, but what took, takes place in the DVD he he talks to he interviews my mother, my father, my daughter, my uncle, everybody that kind of had an impact on my life. Initially, and then uh, the story, of course, it, it, it goes into the prison system, and most importantly, it gives the story of my departure from prison. Um, it's a, it's, I think it's an awesome story, and I think that it will be imperative for young males who are trying to, uh, not just males, males and females, who are trying to avoid going to prison or just being suspended mm-hmm. from school or doing anything that is unlawful, unethical, or, or, or just unlogical. Uh, it's it's a story of redemption, but it's also a story of, you know, reevaluation of self and, and understanding, you know, who you are and what your responsibility to your community is. Well, I I I appreciate you you sharing that. Now, tell us, the, the DVD is $10.00. And where can they get a copy of it? The first thing you can do is you can you can Google the Alto Adjustment and that info will come up. Or you can go directly to the site, which is F as in Frank, N as in Nancy, 2, and S as in Sam. That's FN2S, FN2SProduction.com. And you can purchase that particular DVD online. It's only $10. I am uh, really glad that you were able to be on the show with us today, Dana, and I thank you so much for sharing your story, and I hope that the listeners have really got something from this, 
and and I believe that you are. Yeah, I mean, you're already on the path to greatness. You know, you, you were free a long time ago, and, and I'm sure that many other young men can benefit from what you have to share. So thanks again for being on the show. We definitely appreciate oh, you. I thank you for having me. It's people like you to give us a foundation so people can understand what's going on. So you are the gateway, and I thank you for that. Well, we all have work to do, right? You know what they say. As a team, T-E-A-M, together, everyone achieves more. So it takes us all working together. Each one, teach one is the concept. And so we, we got to keep pulling this thing and keep doing it till we get it right. If you want more information on Coffee Talk with Soy and what's going on in, 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 the, in the community and just kind of what Soy is doing, visit the website, coffeetalkwithsoy.com. I want to remind you to download the app. It's the easiest way, most efficient way to keep connected. You have the dial in there. You have the, the library of shows there. The soy shop is coming soon. And all everything you need is right at the touch of your hand. So download the app, Coffee Talk with Soy, and never miss another show again. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook. We are always on most social media sites. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So hit me up there. And until next week, be blessed and love and do something powerful. Be different. Be changed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>